you know, in our industry too, um, you know, I might, I might get some scripts or I might get some boards cause I'm in commercials. Um, and, and, and someone else might've wrote it, you know, written it. And I don't know who that person is, but when I, when, when that work goes through my filter, um, you know, it is, it is that black shutter, like, as you mentioned it, you know, so yeah, man. What's going on y'all. You have just tuned in to the black shutter podcast. On this show, I invite black photographers, filmmakers, editors, and creative business folks to discuss their experiences and share their wisdom. You will hear about their work, their challenges, and their inspirations. My name is Idris Talib Solomon, a creative director, photographer, and filmmaker based in Brooklyn, New York. So if you dig photography and you love the culture, keep your mind open and your headphones locked. This is the Black Shutter Podcast. There's a famous icebreaker called the telephone game. It starts out with a bunch of people standing in line. The first person is given a phrase to remember. It could be anything. A quote, a poem. Then they whisper the phrase in the next person's ear. The phrase gets passed down until it reaches the last person in line. Now that person has to repeat the phrase they heard out loud and compare it to the original phrase. Most times, the phrase has changed drastically and everyone laughs. What happens in the telephone game is that each person filters the phrase based on their own unique experiences. Now what's interesting is this same thing happens when we work on large projects with a team or a crew. Our guest today knows that whether his role is to write, direct, or produce a project, it is going to go through his filter and his experiences will influence the final product. He is an independent commercial director and cultural enthusiast. His perspective is inspired by his Jamaican-American heritage and his world travels. His client list includes Facebook, Spotify, Google, and Airwalk. He's worked with several television networks such as MTV, VH1, BET, ABC, and HBO. He is the head of creative development at First Avenue Machine. Ron Brody, welcome to the Black Shutter Podcast. Big up yourself. Wagwan, brethren. Wagwan, Wagwan. Big up yourself. Big up yourself. (laughs) Yes, Matthew. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. It's good to be here. Indeed, indeed. Thank you for joining, man. So, Ron... Uh, tell us where you're from. I think you gave away a little bit of a hint, but you know, give the audience a, a taste of where you're from. Oh man, you know, I'm from uh, an, a Jamaican simulated community um, just outside of Washington D.C. Um, and uh, yeah, just kind of born and raised by the West, you know, in the culture, I'd say. Mm-hmm. But right now, you know, I live, uh, I reside in Brooklyn, New York. Nice, nice. I'm in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. What part of Brooklyn? Oh, yeah, um, you know, it's funny, I've lived all over Brooklyn, but right now I'm in Greenpoint, okay. you know, um, that's by design, I love the neighborhood, mm-hmm. but, you know, I miss my people, you know, my, my, my hood will always be Crown Heights, but, um, all right. yeah, I love, I love Greenpoint. Yeah, there's not too there many, right not too many West Indians out there. <laughs> I know, I joke with my brother all the time, I'm like, I'm one of like two or three people up here, <laughs> like, holding it down for the culture. <laughs> yeah, the closest thing you get to a patty is a pierogi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, careful who you tell about those secrets, bro. 
Nice, nice. So, so you are, you have Jamaican roots and uh, Washington D.C. roots, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, all right. I didn't know there was a um, you know, a, a big Jamaican population. I know there's a big like Ethiopian population in D.C., but I wasn't aware of the Jamaican population. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, maybe it's um, you know. It's not as big as I like to think it is, but I mean, I was so small when I, you know, kind of came up in it. I always think it's like the biggest thing in the world, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, you ask my family members and my sister specifically, they call them the Jamaican 72s. Mm-hmm. And it's like a group of my parents and all their friends moved to the States and they all had children for the first, uh, you know, for their first born in 1972, and uh. then, you know, so on, so on, so on. So they call them the Jamaican 72s and they settled in like, Alney and Montgomery County, Rockville, Maryland. So yeah, it's a community of a community of West Indians up there. Big up yourself. So. Yes, yes. So that's that's yeah. dope, man. I, one thing that's dope about community is that the folks, the members of the community, find each other. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like community is a part of survival. You know, mm-hmm. especially when mm-hmm. you're in a new land, right? You got to like finding your people, finding yeah. your roots and your culture is is paramount. You know. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's dope. Um, yeah, yeah. So you mentioned, you know, uh, they call them what the, what was it? The 72, the uh, Jamaican 72? Yeah, Jamaican 72. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so your parents came over here in like the 70s, set up roots around yeah. 72. What, you know, what was life like for you growing up? in D.C., like a, a Jamaican family, uprooted, moved to the States, moved to Washington, D.C., what did like what kind of lifestyle did they create for you and your siblings growing up here? Oh, man, dude. So let me try to unpack this. <laughs> I'm actually the youngest in my family. You Are know, you the I baby? Got, yeah, I'm the baby. I'm the baby. <laughs> but um, I got three older siblings. And, um, you know, my sister... You know, you know, everyone above me pretty much will will happily tell me about how my experience has been watered down throughout. (laughs) (laughs) You know, whatever I've experienced is it, you know, is rich as you know my siblings. Even my brother, who happens to be a minute older than me, he's my twin. Will will definitely um, put me in my place, you know. But um. My parents, man, um, they came over, yeah, as you said, in the 70s and kind of kind of constructed um, a life for us uh, in their community. They kind of, you know, kept it very West Indian, kept this very, um, you know, in the culture. It was like buju at every birthday, Mm -hmm. you know, and and my cousins, I found out, (laughs) you know, probably when I was college age that they weren't really my cousins. And it it, it sucked (laughs) because a couple of them. You know, a couple of them were, like, really nice and, you know, cute and, like, whatever else. Or even my parents would try and make these arrangements happen. I'd be like, yo, that's gross. That's my family, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but that, that, just, that should just illustrate how tight we were, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> or how tight the community was, you know? Like, it was it was really nice, man. It was protected. It was, it was wholesome. And it was um, very full of love, you know? And, you know, D.C., as a city, you know, you know, it's Ethiopian as you, as you, um, you know, alluded to earlier. Um, you know, I think it's the second largest concentration of, of Eritrean and Ethiopian people outside mm-hmm. of those, you know, those regions. Um, but there's also a lot of West Indians. They used to do, you know, the Eastern Parkway parade. Oh yeah, have? for sure. Um, for sure. 
Yeah, yeah. They, that's. I mean, well, I don't think it started in in DC, but they had this thing called uh, Georgia Avenue Day in DC, and it was pretty much the same thing. Like from from uh, it's the same route as the seventy bus, you know, like from Silver Spring all the way down through Howard's campus, all the way down. It was just this massive procession of these big rigs, big sound speaker wall, you know, trucks just kind of doing the most to see, um, you know, how cultured they could be, you know, just the whole diaspora. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that's kind of where I grew up, man. And that's kind of like what I was brought into. Uh, my siblings passed a rich, you know, uh, confidence and understanding and being um, Caribbean and being black um, down, um, you know, uh, I could get into how, how, uh, you know, how watered down it got, but um, <laughs> that's kind of where I come from. And that's what I was raised in, you know, <laughs> that's, that, that's dope. I mean, yeah. just to have some connection to roots that, that were planted way before, before you got mm-hmm. here, you know, is important, you know, um, as a, you know, african-american or american-born african um a lot of my roots have been severed and Mm -hmm. to the point where i don't have a clear understanding where my family is from you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and you know a lot of us you know we all set up shopping in the caribbean our family set up shopping the caribbean before making it here so we all Mm -hmm. sort of have like caribbean roots um Mm -hmm. that tie back to the continent you know but just being able to, you know, have a family who has like those roots in the Caribbean at least, and you have like that culture that you you still carry on in those traditions is beautiful. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. You know, um, you know, I know you fully embrace the term Jamaican. Yeah. Right. For, For sure. those who don't know, can you tell? Can you explain what a Jamaican <laughs> is? I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, I, I think. But can you explain what that is? <laughs> Yeah, man. So a Jamaican is like, you know, a first generation person uh, born in the States, but still, uh, you know, embracing the culture. So, you know, I'm Jamaican because my whole family, my lineage comes from Jamaica. And um, and uh, I also was raised here in the U.S., so I identify as being American as well. But, mm-hmm. you know, there was a group called the Born Jamaicans. Born Americans, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, oh man, and, I, and I'm gonna really mess this up because um, there were two brothers. You know, I know Ed Lee Shine. I guess he was loosely connected to my family. You know, friends of my 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 sister. But um, his partner in crime, you know, that made up the Born Americans, had made a song called Born Americans, and that was kind of like the anthem that kind of kept us all, you know, kind of grounded and tight. So yeah, that's in my in my impression, a Jamaican is just kind of first generation experience this mashup of Amer- being american and jamaican so yeah <laughs> yeah man that, that, that's dope you know gotta hold on to the roots however you can you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah man and i you know what i i can totally identify or i can understand you know the severed nature of where we also come from too you know like there's a big you know a big seasoning of of us in in the islands you know and you know my you know, my elders or the grandparents that I actually never had the, you know, the chance to meet. I met my great grandmother. Um, they they came from different places, and some of that wasn't completely, you know, clear. And and you know, my last name Brody isn't exactly something that you found in the islands before a certain period. Mm-hmm. You know? So yeah, you know, I can I can totally, you know, relate. 
understand that 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 aspect as well so mm-hmm. yeah man so mm-hmm. you know with your family setting up shop here you know um mm-hmm. what we find with a lot of uh, immigrants is that uh the parents you know want to set up shop to have the best to provide the best opportunities for their kids right yeah. and in a lot of ways that means they want their kids to be become like doctors lawyers mm-hmm. engineers mm-hmm. any profession that makes a lot of money right mm-hmm. um what mm-hmm. was the situation for you and your siblings yeah man um you know it was exactly that you know like uh i, I I had to really, you know, fight to get into what it is that I do, um, both because I was black and, you know, the industry, blah, 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 rah, 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 but also just to just prove to my parents that it was a legitimate, you mm-hmm. know, path, you know? So they wanted us, you know, my, I think my pops wanted me to follow in his footsteps. He has a little business, um, you know, I mean, I shouldn't say little, but he has a long-standing business in D.C. Um, it, it went through a few iterations, but right now he does um, real estate and management down there, and it's okay. um, you know he, he built he built his thing. Um, yeah. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty respectable in D.C. And I think he wanted, you know, he's a businessman. He wanted he wanted us to get into business, but before that, he was an engineer, and I think he he also wanted us to be engineers mm-hmm. um, or doctors or you know something that was going to make a lot of money because. Yeah you know, that's what he set up or, you know, why he came here supposedly. But, you know, an observation of my, my dad now, I'd say, um, it was a little, you know, <laughs> no, he wanted to provide the best life for us, but I think he also, um, he also was just a go getter and very, um, ambitious himself. So, you know, a lot of his quest to come here and, uh, was, was by his, by his um, strong will and vision for what he wanted to make for himself. And, um, you know, I think his, his family were all appendages of, of that ambition and, um, and that pride too. Cause I think he's, he's proud now, but he also sees, you know, that as part of, as part of the journey to, to making, you know, as strong a push to be as great as possible. Um, and I think he's instilled that in us, um, but uh, yeah, also it's just like you know, you know. I think I think there's end goal. West Indian parents, mm-hmm. a lot of them want you know. A lot of immigrant parents just want to set their kids up. But I think my dad wants to set us up. But he would never say we're set yet. You know, like until until he rests. You mm-hmm. know, like I think that's when he's like, okay, well now you can try and you can try and outdo me. You know, mm. so, so yeah. he, inst- he instilled a, a strong work ethic in you. Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. Which is definitely. which is dope. I mean, you need that to be in in a in a creative field, especially in um in the film and television and media field. You know, you need yeah. that work ethic because it is super competitive. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, it's one, especially in New York as well. Like yeah. people come here from all over the world trying to. It's sometimes harder to get in this field than it is to get in the NBA. <laughs> you know what I mean? Facts. So at what point did you show an interest in the arts and, and like in film and video? Yeah, man. Um, you know, my, my sister and my older brother, like my sister has a more traditional career and my older brother 
you know, was set up on a more traditional path. Like she's in education. You know, my older brother has, you know, a degree in, 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 you know, history and law. Um, and me and my twin, we were rebellious, you know, like we went to public school and we got into punk rock music, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) we, we wanted to like find our own way, you know, it was just kind of like, you know, there was a certain period of my life where I wasn't, you know, necessarily black enough. And what embraced me was the music, you know, the thrash music that kind of, you know, almost sung my song for me. And through that, I think I found art because, you know, that led me to like things like skateboarding and, you know, just punk rock, you know, like, and and there were all these music videos and MTV and all the stuff that just kind of put me, um, uh, you know, thrust me into like digesting a lot of media. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's kind of what pulled me in because I didn't really understand it back then, but I know I consumed it, you know, and uh, I was just taking it in and trying whatever way to like, you know, replicate it or, you know, be, be a part of it. So, um, that in public schools just kind of pushed me towards it. And, um, the only thing that could keep my interest in high school and, and even, you know, earlier was, you know, was just kind of being a part of that kind of creative kind of, you know, visual expression. And, um, you know, I had this television production class that kind of felt like, you know, we could actually mimic what we were, we were digesting. And I think that's how I found the arts, you know, that professor that I had or that teacher that I had back then did the production class, but then he also did theater and somehow he slipped in some some stuff that, that my, my ignorant self was like not really realizing I was learning, you Mm -hmm. know? (laughs) That's a great kind of, that's the greatest kind of teacher though. (laughs) Yeah, It doesn't even feel like you're learning but you just yeah. come away with all this inspiration. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It was it was just kind of like my friends and then this one class. I'd skipped a lot I skipped a lot of school, but I would show up for the morning announcements, you know what I mean? Bro, that <laughs> yo, that sounds similar to to my story, man. Like so that was in high school for you? That was high school. Okay. Yep. So you know, I didn't I didn't do well in any classes that weren't creative. If it was like mm-hmm. math and science and things like that and, and this yo is this its own form of creativity in those subjects right mm-hmm. but Absolutely. i needed more i needed more space to be expressive so mm-hmm. art you can be expressive creative writing i could be expressive right i could take something that's in my head and put it out on paper and draw it or write it or whatever and that was that was great for me i needed i, I needed something that didn't have any boundaries you know what i mean um so I, I I didn't do well in classes that limited my my form of self-expression. And then fast forward, I didn't do well in any job. I lost almost every job that uh, mm-hmm. was not creative until until I decided to choose a creative path. So yeah. when I first discovered Photoshop in college, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I had been taking elective classes um, for this Photoshop class. I wasn't even getting credit for it at a certain point. I just kept mm. signing up for the same class, not getting any credit and not really caring about the other classes that I had to take because I found what I was looking for. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like Photoshop was that was that entry point to this whole career in digital art and media that I'm in now, you know? So I understand yeah. I understand where you're coming from, just finding that little seed, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, totally, man. Totally. I mean, 
that's 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 what it is man like uh you know you find that seed and um it opens up a world like that was me and mac computers you know when i figured out an apple and and i found i i i i studied final cut pro and then i hacked the premiere (laughs) you know it was just like all right well we got to master this because it seems like you know there's a lot there's a lot you know more to it so it's just finding that that right you know that particular interest or that way in you know so yeah yeah, that's great, man. So you discovered mm-hmm. this 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 film production class slash mm-hmm. uh, theater instructor in high school. Uh, where did you take like how did where did, where did you go uh, for college? Yeah, I mean um, somehow. So yeah, I mean I started I started really getting into um, you know I ble- you know bless up education, man. I don't mean to. I don't mean to knock it, you know, even though I was like, you know, skipping a lot of class and going to these band practices and everything else. Somehow, you know, I leveled up my grades uh, and I got uh, accepted in, uh, into Howard University mm-hmm. and um, and not just accepted into Howard, because at that time, I think a lot of schools were, um, you know, they had they had uh, minimum requirements to get in, but then you were accepted under a probationary status. So you had to kind of, you know, <laughs> you had to prove yourself. <laughs> Yeah, you had to prove yourself before you could figure out, you know, how to declare a major. But I got in and I was able to declare a major and I said, you know, I want to do that. I want to I want to go to film school. I want to I want to, you know, continue whatever iteration, wherever it takes me. I just want you know, it's kind of like how you were talking about with the Photoshop. You know, I was just like, whatever's going to bring me deeper into this rabbit hole. I think the Matrix had come out at that time, too. Um, You know, I was like, I'm trying to jump in there. So, um you know, I, I really didn't know, like, I didn't, I mean, I wanted to be like a, like a musician. I wanted to be a rock star. So when my parents made me, um, you know, well, they made their stand and said, Hey, let's go to, you know, you're going to college. Uh, my, my uncle went to co- uh, Howard. My sister went to Howard. My older brother went to Howard. Me and my twin were going to go to Howard. So I went there and I saw they had a film program and I jumped in, uh, to that. And, um, you know, I think, um, you know, that Howard's program there was, you know, just getting started at the time, or it seemed like it was just getting started at the time. So it made it accessible to me. Like, I don't know. I mean, now I understand, you know, how, what I would do if I ever went back up in there. But I think um, at the time I was really intimidated by everything that Howard stood for. And, um, you know, uh, and, and I was a little bit, nervous but i knew um i could just sink into that aspect of the work you know the filmmaking and everything else and that was enough to um you know make it make make me uh you know get into it a little bit or you know just bring me into it so i don't know if that makes sense (laughs) yeah yeah i mean when you know the university itself was a little bit intimidating right Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. being but the fact that you were able to choose a major that was just getting started meant that yeah. at least within your major, you were able to grow with it. Yeah. You know, yeah. within, you know, it's like a it's a small area for you to like learn and experiment within like the bigger arena of Howard University. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I I attribute that to my major, and then I also attribute that to Kanye West. Because 
you know, I was a, I was a punk rocker and I was skateboarding and I didn't think I would fit in in the HBCU, mm. you know, because, because there was a lot of, there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of stuff that, you know, someone like me, you know, especially being first generation has to kind of work out in high school, but, um, you know, getting to all black college, you know, at least where I stood, I was a little nervous about that because I didn't know if I was ready for that, you know, mm. but, um, but yeah, like sinking into the major and then Kanye like kind of opening it up and being like, yo, you know, there are a lot of black people in this world. It's a spectrum. Yeah. Um, that, that really made me feel secure and, and like, you know, then I started going, you know, I just, I just didn't look back. So yeah. That's great. Cause now you have Kanye kind of made it cool to be, mm-hmm. to be uh quote unquote, not cool. Right. And um, <laughs> yeah. and then that that opened up the doors for like Kid Cudi and, you yeah. know, Childish Gambino and Chance the Rapper. And you got all these non cool, cool dudes, you know, um, mm-hmm. making it more comfortable for for other you know black folks to just be who they are. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's dope. Yeah. And it was super creative, too. So, yeah. <laughs> so how did your punk rock uh, ex- and how did you like your your punk rock days, skateboarding days, and then like your Jamaican culture like translate into you being a, a filmmaker? Like what 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 lessons and and viewpoints and perspective did you take from those different parts of of what makes of your persona? What what different things did you take to kind of like transfer into your filmmaking style? Yeah, man, I had uh, this professor named Alonzo Crawford. He was uh, teaching the cinematography class, uh, or he just did the cinematography discipline in undergrad. Um, And he, he, he challenged, he posed a question. He said, hey, what are you all trying to, what are you all trying to say with your filmmaking? You know, like, what are you trying to do with this, with this, you know, ability, you know, Mm -hmm. to tell stories? And um, everyone went through and, you know, Howard's full of go-getters, man. I, I came out and there are so many amazing, you know, talents. I, I don't, I don't want to just call them all filmmakers because a lot of people are doing a number of different things these days. But they were like sitting next to me, like, you know, um, in the same cinematography class. They were like, what do you want to do with, with, with this, this voice that you're discovering, right? And they were like saying, oh, you know, I'm going to do this, this and that. And then when I think I got up, I said, I just want to make cool movies and I want people to love them. And, and then he followed up with this question in Alonzo. He said, well, what do you want to say with these you know, stories? And I said, I don't want to say anything. And, and he said, that's impossible. You mm-hmm. know, it's, you know, it, it's impossible to put your, your, your subjective POV out there without saying anything, you know, so you got to think about what, what that as a platform does, you know, as a, as a filmmaker, like, what are you trying to say with your work? And, and, um, you know, I, you know, it took me back and I said, huh, you know, what am I, what am I going to say? And that's, that's like, that's a question that always comes up whenever I start a project, but, you know, I'll tell you with, with my background, you know, this first gen punk rocking, you know, uh, you know, skateboarding, whatever. Um, it just makes my 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 position unique, and I feel like um, you know there are a lot of people who can relate. There are a lot of people who would be interested in that, and then there are a lot of people who, you know, might not think about any of that and and just be entertained. But um, 
you know, I just, I just think it's, it's a perspective that's my own. And, um, you know, all of those things kind of contribute to, to that perspective, you know? Oh, hundred percent, man. Um, yeah. you know, I, I agree with, uh, was it Alonzo Crawford? Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with professor Crawford, right? Because, yeah. um, you know, black shutter, when the name Black Shutter popped up in my head, it was it was definitely designed around photographers, black photographers. But we all know that the camera is just a tool. The camera is just a, a tool for how we document things that we see. And we aim the camera in a certain way because we see the world a certain way, right? We wanna uh, convey an emotion that we feel and we want to share that with the world. And so the, for me, the Black Shutter is if you're black, you ex- and you go through this world, experiencing the world as a black person, then you have the black shutter. If you choose to pick up a camera, mm-hmm. that's one thing. But if you choose to go into architecture, right, you're still seeing the world from a black perspective, but you're just using it in a form of architecture, right? So when mm-hmm. Professor Crawford was like, you have to say something, you know, for me, I feel like, you 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 being black in the skateboarding space or in the punk rock space means that you're in these spaces that are predominantly white but you're still seeing it from a black perspective you know what i mean and that's what if you choose if you chose to like document those spaces you will be documenting it from the from the perspective of a black man in those spaces you know what i mean yeah for sure yeah no i mean absolutely so I can't even agree more with that, man. And yeah, I just, I just think um, people get caught up in the visual, and they, 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 you know, most people don't don't look into who's creating it and understand that story because it, it provides such greater context mm-hmm. if you understand understand where it's coming from. And you know, in our industry too, um, you know, I might. I might get some scripts or I might get some boards cause I'm in commercials. Um, and, and, and someone else might've wrote it, you know, written it. And I don't know who that person is, but when I, when, when that work goes through my filter, um, you know, it is, it is that black shutter, like, as you mentioned it, you know? So yeah, man. Yeah. You know, um, my day job, you know, is, uh, I'm on contract at HBO. I'm an art director mm-hmm. over there, and I've worked on uh, one of the shows that I was um, working on is Lovecraft Country. And, oh, dope. Uh, yeah, 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 it was a dope show. And um, yeah. before I started working on it, I read the book, and Lovecraft mm-hmm. Country was written by a white man named Matt Ruff. And mm. I was sitting there reading this book. The book was dope. The book was mm-hmm. dope. But mm-hmm. I couldn't help but continuing to ask myself, like, why did this white man choose to write this book? And I was like, I need to, like, depending on how the book ends, like, if these black characters get to uh, save themselves, be their own heroes, or if the white characters in the book save the black characters, is going to determine if I like it or not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Seriously, because we've seen that narrative so many times, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But Mm -hmm. then bringing it to screen... Um, Misha Green uh, directed it and so now you have this book written by a white man with these black characters but it's directed 
by this black woman who's uh-huh. bringing all her experiences in it. And she's doing things that were not done in the book. You know, yeah. she flipped yeah. the book. I mean, it still went the same path of the book, but she was taking some creative liberties that were like, oh, that's definitely some black shit right there. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 100%. And, and yeah. Because that's that's her experience and she knows the audience. So she's mm-hmm. doing things that I'm sitting there like, yeah, that's that's dope. Yeah, I, I feel that, you know, it took it took mm-hmm. the book to another level when you when she brought it to screen. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's 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 dope, and I think, um, you know, that's where where it's a, a like a step further. I mean, like I think I think I think the conversation is still representation, but I think also once you look past representation, it's that you know, it's just kind of like um, it's just kind of like this this level of. Um, of of weave that that just takes it one step further where where it's just that much more depthful you know it it almost takes it almost takes you know us to tell those stories because it's not about us being gatekeepers um it's about us you know kind of not even bringing things to the full potential but just telling the telling the true essence of what it what 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 the story is you know um yeah, yeah I, I hear I hear you coming from with gatekeeping. I think that yeah. it's a little tricky because yeah. at in this stage in this stage of the game, when this we still struggle to get our own platform, still struggle to tell yeah. stories on screen the way that we want to. There is a, a gatekeeping aspect to it, especially when we come up with an idea. It's like, yo, we want to make sure we do it as as properly as possible. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Because it's, it's still so lopsided as far as mm-hmm. representation goes. Yeah, that's true, man. I mean, that's that's gonna be um, that's gonna be something that kind of stays um, a part of the conversation because there's not there's not enough of us to to feel so um, enabled to just kind of talk like it's just you and me, you know, like. I, I agree. I agree. Um, there is gatekeeping. I feel like when you get a series like Lovecraft or, or um, you know, even even some of what you what you've seen in in Jordan Peele's storytelling, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it 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 start it starts to get there where you're just like kind of like wow, you know, or even Atlanta, you know, what you you, you mentioned Donald Glover earlier, Charles mm-hmm. Gambino, um, you know. There, there is a, there is an attention or a thirst for that that depthful storytelling, mm-hmm. that level of storytelling. But um, it is very, it is something that you know that not everyone gets to reach. You know, I'm not even in there in my career, like you know, to be able to go unapologetically into yeah. what I really wanted. You know, what I really want to show. You know, just because you know that's just where we're at. And, and I think, you know, us, me and you being, being where we are is, is maybe a start, you know, and it, and it's a lot of work to get it to that kind of pure kind of storytelling position. But, um, yeah, I mean, man. yeah, we still, we're still at the point where, uh, we are, I'll speak for myself. Um, uh, 
the work needs to be able to represent itself mm-hmm. uh, and stand alone and and spread like wildfire without me being there. It, it, the work. So right now, I, I'm still finding my voice and what it is yeah. that I want to say and how I want to say it. Um, yeah. And I know a lot of folks out there are in the same p- position, whether it's through photography or whether it's through filmmaking or music, whatever. Like we're still trying to find our voice, and not everybody is able to get to the point where they can make work with a middle finger up, right? Like, yo, you mm-hmm. take it or leave it. This is what it is. But I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, Lovecraft Country did a good job of that. Atlanta does a good job of that. Um, Jordan Peele, right? And they are, and if you look at those three um, sh- um, bodies of work or directors, right? They are telling stories in a very unique way. They're breaking a bunch of rules. And the mm-hmm. reason why it's so refreshing is because, for me, it feels like this is what happens when you give different folks the opportunity to tell stories in their own voice. You're going to get mm-hmm. some new things. Instead of us like regurgitating you know, what we've been seeing in film and cinema and what we've been seeing in photography, we're able to tell stories from our perspective. Like, I love the fact that, like, Jordan Peele, his new movie was called Nope, right? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> for all of, yo, every, every, everybody I know, all my people who've seen, like, that trailer the for, for the first time, and it was just like, nope, at the end, we all got it instantly. <laughs> Instantly, yeah. it was like, oh, shit, this dude did it again, man. Like, you know, uh, and that's great, and that's great. And yeah. um, you know, speaking on Atlanta, I saw that you did uh, the promo for uh, Robin season for uh, season two of Atlanta. The promo was dope. I love like the yeah. I love like the long pan effect. I I kept like running it back to see like where the transition was, like how 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 you got this long continuous shot. It was a dope promo. Um, you know, like, like I said, in Atlanta, they break a lot of film rules. Um, just, they just break a lot of rules, man. I think it's dope. Um, so can you describe your process of like contributing your point of view to a show that already has its own point of view? Like, how do you collaborate effectively knowing that they're telling their own type of story and you have your own voice as well? How do you merge those two together? Well, yeah, I mean, well, I'd love to answer this question, but I got to clear something up. I, I wrote the pro, you know, I, I worked on the conceptualization of that promo. I didn't uh-huh. direct it. Okay, cool. Yeah, so so I, I, I just really got to make that clear. Um, you know, the whole spotlight nature yeah, yeah. Uh, of, of what you see and, and how the camera is kind of um, subjecting the viewer to a particular light versus what happens in the shadows is something that, uh, you know, I, I pitched to FX and I said, hey, you know, and, you know, honestly, I, I, I was um, inspired by what I saw um, from Mark Romanek on um, Jules' criminal video. Um, you know, I don't know if you've seen the criminal video, but they did the whole spotlight on top of the camera. It's kind of like, you know, um, who does that? Uh, not not even Terry Richardson, but a lot of photographers do this like very like harsh spotlight on the camera kind of thing, and it, mm-hmm. and it feels very, um, you know, a, a subjective angle. So I wrote that into the spot itself. I, I wish I directed it, um, but I knew the essence of of the you know of that season of Atlanta. I know they wanted to go darker, like mm-hmm. you know, I got all these specs 
they wanted to go darker. They wanted to, um, they wanted to uh, give a more ominous vibe uh, to what you could expect. And, you know, as you saw in that season two, um, it was, it was definitely, you know, a lot, a lot um, darker, you know, mm-hmm. there was, there was a lot of the absurdities that you saw in season one, but um, it, it just kind of took on like a, like a, a playful, but no, we're serious kind of note. And, um, you know, I thought that would be a good technique to employ. So, um, yeah, man, I, I just want to make sure that, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I, I feel like I have a creative stamp on a lot of things. You know, I do a lot of different things, but, um, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to mislead you no. and tell you that I, I direct that spot. Absolutely. But, and, you know, yeah. thank you for, thank you for clearing that up. And, uh, my apologies yeah. for getting that detail, um, wrong, mm-hmm. but let's talk about no, that. Right. Good. Because I think, mm-hmm. I think, uh, the whole, the whole aspect of being a filmmaker mm-hmm. takes there's so many different roles that go into making a piece, mm-hmm. right? And you know, people wear so many different hats, right? Like I know mm-hmm. you're a director, but you also mentioned that you 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 were like, you know, cranking on Final Cut Pro, so you have mm-hmm. editing skills. But then you just mentioned yeah. that you didn't direct the the piece for Atlanta, but you wrote it, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. There's all these different skill sets, all these different ways of contributing your voice to a, a film and video piece. So, like, can you talk a little bit about like the the breadth of work that you do? Yeah, man. Um, you know, this industry. You know, when I, you know, we talked about my film school, like you know, film school experience, right? At that time, you think you're going to do it all, and like, you know, Professor Crawford's kind of challenge to, 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 you know, that he sets up that's very, you know, you know, very intriguing and inspiring, um, you know, doesn't take into account how many people come together to make, you know, something happen, you know, like, especially something like, you know, whether it be a 30 second commercial or two hour, you know, 80 minute feature, whatever. Um, there are a lot of people, you know, and a lot of it, you know, a lot of it, there's a, so much, you know, um, coordination and a lot of people involved in the process of bringing things to fruition. Um, my, 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 uh, particular background in this industry and, you know, my, my approach to just getting into it was just to be, to be available and willing to, you know, get, you know, to do it all. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to just get in in any way. And um, that was another thing that, you know, I declared, uh, you know, when everyone was like, you know, I'm going to be managing talent. I'm going to be an assistant director. I'm going to be in sound mixing. I'm going to be a cinematographer. I I told everyone, I was just like, you know, I want to just do anything. And I I just want to be into the credits. I just want to be a part of the process. (laughs) You know, that was my response. You just want to see your name scroll up in in, in like size six font at the the end, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I just want to be able to, you know, you know, watch the movie and then, you know, stick around and be like, yo, mom, we're not leaving yet. That's me, you know, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. when it's scrolling up in black and white. And, um, you know, I said that at the time and it, it feel very like unguided or just without aim but um now i'm sitting where i'm sitting and and i'm like you know trying to respond to this question and i'm like i'm realizing i've worn a number of hats you know and and like to get to where i'm at now i've had to do a number of things and you know what 
I liken it to the whole hip hop experience, right? You know, like you spend several years ghostwriting and and sitting, you know, in, in the credits of a track, you know, to make an album, so many people come together, you know, and then that one artist shines and then the people who really know the process will look at what it takes to make that, you know? Same thing is happening for 30 seconds worth of video. You know, mm -hmm. there's so many people involved, you know? Um, even outside of the commercial industry, just even in the creative sense, you know, like I actually wonder how much Donald Glover, you know, uh, does in the development of an episode of mm -hmm. Atlanta before, yeah. before it airs, you know, I'm sure he's, he's, a, he's a huge part of the process, but I mean, like there's so many people in there that just get and understand and, 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 you know, breathe, live in, and, 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 and project that essence that when they bring it to him, they're like, yeah, he, he's able to say, yes, this is right. No, that's not right. Let's really, let's really work on this. You know? So anyway, in, in that aspect of my involvement with that particular campaign, um, you know, the season was already shot. No one knew. I think, I think I was exposed to a couple of scripts and, 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 and they didn't know how they were going to, you know, reach that core audience that was looking forward to, bringing them back to a series that hadn't been, um, you know, on screen in about two years because he's a working professional. He's making music. And um, I think he dropped This Is America, you know, mm -hmm. like, so he was, he was working on all of that. So, you know, people had forgotten about Atlanta, but how do you bring that back? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what's dropped in my lap as someone who is going to communicate or, or advertise, you know, a reason for you to tune in or to bring you back to it. So, um, you know, my, my objective is to, to do all of that and then also keep it within that aesthetic and, that, and keep it interesting. What's up, family? If you're enjoying this episode, do us a solid by leaving us a five-star rating or reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. We appreciate the support. So on that note, we're going to get back into the show. Peace. I thought of people like um, Dave Chappelle or Chris Rock who have a bunch of punchlines in a fishbowl mm -hmm. and then they, they pull them out and then they, they work from there, you know, one-liners. And, um, you know, we started generating a lot of one-liners. And um, for me, I think um, for that, like that was only one of the ideas I presented them with. You know, I was just like, yo, this idea of the spotlight moving around the room and you don't know who you trust. You just know where the light, where the light is, and mm. what you see, what happens in the shadows is whatever happens. But what you see in the light is something that you're supposed to accept or, or appreciate. And um, you know they latched onto that. And um, you know in that essence, it's a commercial. So you know, I'm not, the, I'm not going to be the director attached to that. And I'm not, I'm definitely not going to be Donald Glover. But I definitely had my stamp and my, my my role in, in bringing that to fruition, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, I definitely don't have this, uh, the, the directorial experience that you have, but um, I've, I've done some directing, and the interesting thing about it is, it's this culmination of like, for me, all the different skills that I've learned up to this point, um, 
you know, I've I've I've, I've worked in advertising and mm-hmm. um as a as a, you know, art director slash marketer and mm-hmm. learning how to communicate an idea, right? Like mm-hmm. even though I was doing it on paper, when it came time to me to for me to direct something, all of that experience I saw coming into fruition. Same thing yeah. being a photographer, you know, mm-hmm. taking my eye for composition with a camera to like how do I how do I communicate what I'm looking for to a cinematographer, right? Mm-hmm. Then like mm-hmm. years of writing, you know, whether mm-hmm. I was writing music, writing poetry, writing short stories or whatever, bringing that mm-hmm. into the directing process as well, you know, and mm-hmm. for me it was just like wow, this feels amazing that like there's all these different viewpoints that I have in different areas. I don't have to know how to do all of these things. I just need to know how to communicate. I just need to know who knows how to do these things, but also how to communicate to those, to those professionals. Like this is how we get the whole vision to unify together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. How to like, what are some of your strategies when you are working with a team or a crew on, on something like, how do you, work with them to get your vision to bring your vision to life yeah man uh that's a great question um it's always different and it's always a process to um you know find common ground or or to communicate like um you know communicate what you're going for or you know to communicate um you know what you what you need you know because um you know, what I'm going for is, is, is very like, you know, high bar, you know, like, of course, everyone's shooting for this guy. They want to make the best work that they've ever made before. Right. And and what I need that expertise, that advisement, you know, like, um, and that assistance to, you know, understand what's possible. Um, uh, my process, you know, it, it's, it's just a lot of reference, you know, you gotta, you gotta be a student, you know, as well as an instructor. Um, and, and, and I use the instructor aspect of it very, you know, lightly. Cause like, um, you know, I don't think anyone has, I mean, I, I, I certainly don't have, have the, you know, the grounds to, you know, show or, or teach anyone, anyone, anything new. Um, you know, whether, whether, whether they, whether they pick up something through my process or not, that they, they, they're like, you know, I'll keep that. Like we say that in Jamaica, it's like, if someone says something that makes sense, you're like, you know, I'm going to keep that, you know? Um, because, you know, you might not have thought about going about it in the same way, Mm -hmm. but, but, um, yeah, like, I don't know. You just show up as a real person. You, you share your intention um, you just try and, and, and have like some cultural reference points that, you know, people can kind of follow along with. And, um, yeah, you just try your best to communicate what you're going for. And, um, you know, hopefully someone will catch a vibe, you know, like it, you know, it, it's, it's all, it's all in finding common ground. Um, I actually try and do a lot of, research or understand a lot of the talent that I'm working with and not talent isn't just, you know, those who are in front of the camera, you know, like cinematographers or talent, um, you know, 
gaffers are talent. You know, even mm-hmm. even the sound the sound mixer is talent. You know, like yeah. PA PAs are talent. Absolutely. So if you know if you know the people, you know you know the folks that you're dealing with. You have a lot of respect from it, and that's maybe my Jamaican background. I have respect for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you're gonna you're gonna find a common commonality, and you're gonna find a way to bridge communication in a way that you know you you let people feedback, you you offer up, and um, hopefully find um, you know bridge. I don't know if I veered off of the question or not, but no, nah, no, nah, um, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it was a it was a good veer. It was a good veer. <laughs> Oh man, I'm sorry, brother. Nah, man, it's all good, man. I, I like to let people talk and and, and uh, you know, go go where 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 they want to go. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, go on this ride with you. Um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the a lot of the audience for this podcast is photography based, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to ask a question that might help to give some of the photographers out there listening a little bit of perspective right so um for me a lot of a lot of my friends who are who are directors or who have um aspirations of being a director are great storytellers you know what i mean they they are the ones who can be at the dinner table and just stop just bust out a story that happened on the way to dinner and i'm like (laughs) how do you just always have like these stories and you know exactly the timing and the pacing and all that stuff, right? So I see that you you are quoted saying, for me, telling the stories that mainstream media ignores is my moral obligation, right? Yeah. yeah. So I guess with that quote and knowing like, you know, you have like all this directorial experience, you know, how do you approach telling stories, whether it's fictional or you know uh nonfiction, you know what is your mm-hmm. process of telling a story and making sure that you have the right elements in the story to make it interesting and engaging mm-hmm. um you know i think i think it starts with just um making it as relatable as possible and 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 how i do that or how i approach that is by you know, inserting myself into it, you know, I think if you've asked me to tell you a story, I think of how I would tell you the story, but through, through it being my experience. So you can relate to whatever story because you know me and maybe I'm telling it as though it happened to me, you know, Mm -hmm. or, or maybe, um, you know, I've, I I have like, a, uh, an experience to it. Um, in many ways I do, you know, like I, I just, I'd start my process is I start to find ways in real time. Like, you know, especially if we're in the back of a car and you're like, yo, tell me a story. I just try and think of what ways I relate to a story before I tell it, you know? And, um, that, that's step one. And, you know, I gotta, I gotta, find myself in that story before I can actually open my mouth and start telling anything. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, not a lot of people understand or, or not a lot of, it's not that a lot of people don't understand. Not a lot of people realize that any great story, um, is relatable to everybody, um, in one way or another, even if it's like a vague, um, kind of connection or meaning, um, that's a way in, you know? So, 
yeah, I just try and start with, with what way I relate to it. And then, um, you know, I, I try and understand a lot about my audience um, and, and the ways they might relate to it or they might understand it. You know, how, how are they going to understand um, an experience that I'm giving them? Um, it's, it's by just hopefully finding myself and then helping them find themselves in, in it next, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great first step, right, is uh, mm-hmm. making sure that it's relatable, making sure that mm-hmm. it's something that um, appeals to you before mm-hmm. you, and that you understand it before you communicate it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great mm-hmm. first step, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I I know that, it's, you know, you have this project, it looks like you're doing a project with your brother, your brother Don. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Driver Radio. yeah. So it looks like it's basically like a like a travel film based yeah. in Jamaica right yeah. but but can you speak a little bit about that cuz i think this this uh this project sounds like is the relatable aspect you know i think yeah. we all take ubers cabs you know and you know uh i think the whole concept of shared rides comes from you know uh developing countries and i know yeah. like the dollar vans in in New York definitely came from the Caribbean, you know. Yep. So um yep. that's something that's relatable to to all you know, to everybody here. So um can you tell us a little bit about that that um that project, Driver Radio? Yeah, man. Um so yeah, Driver Radio is a project that my brother Don Brody and I um kinda had been working on for a little while. Like he, he was fascinated in um taxi culture in jamaica they don't have like a form i mean they have they have a a formalized transportation system but a lot of it is very entrepreneurial you know like so you know taxi drivers in jamaica are independent Mm -hmm. uh you know go-getters that say you know i'm gonna get a car and run taxis or i'm gonna get a network and and you know hand things off and you know, kind of like how freelancers work, you know, yeah. in our industry, you know, it, it's, it's like a freelance, but like a, like a, a full-time game. Um, and they take it very seriously. And I feel like, like, you know, tech companies, you know, observe this and, and, and they've built, you know, their, their apps or whatever services off of based off of what's happening in the Caribbean and other emerging countries. Anyway, 100%. sidebar. 100%. <laughs> yeah, as, as you said, you, you mentioned that earlier and, and that's a key, you know, keen insight. But, um, this, this project was, um, something that we, we thought of, like, you know, there's so many people in the Caribbean, in, in Jamaica that are, you know, driving because, you know, there's such a need for transportation that if my parents had, if my parents had never left Jamaica, you know, I might be in that line of work and profession. I, w- I might not be like a, a content maker. You know, that's that's what we need in the U.S. But in in, in Jamaica, if I was there, you know, I might be transporting people and 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 doing that kind of line of work. But um, yeah, man, it was just a way to like really, you know, explore my first generation roots. Um, go back and um, experience my culture in a way that, um, you know, uh, 
you know, I remember, you know, vaguely from my childhood, you know, we, we didn't take road trips across America, but we took road trips across Jamaica. So we wanted to retrace those, those, uh, routes. Um, but it's just a study of culture. And then, you know, infused with my experiences as an American, like I, I'm, I'm a huge Anthony Bourdain fan, you know, like yeah. I loved how he really got into culture through his avenue of food and, um, you know, transportation just seemed like a way into culture in Jamaica. But this is the first iteration, honestly. Like, you know, I have a feeling that, you know, I have a belief that transportation is a language that is actually spoken acro- around the world. Like, if you go anywhere in the world, you need to get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And that, whether you speak the language or not, is a way to communicate. And, um, you know, it's also a commonality. Like, if you're first, if you're first generation returning to your home and you want to understand something mm-hmm. about your culture, you can probably ask a driver or yeah. you could hire someone who's going to take you around. Right. Yeah. So, you know, um, yeah, I mean, like, I feel like there's this commonality that I might have with, you know, someone who was born in the States, but they're of Japanese descent and they're going back to Japan to understand where, you know, they're, you know, they're from and they have to communicate with someone to take them there. Um, that's kind of what, what inspired us to make this series. And, um, you know, and, and, and we felt like it'd be relatable, not just to, you know, West Indians, like across the board, like, you know, anyone who was interested in, in, in their culture. So like that, that goes into what I felt, you know, what I was saying about like relatability too. It's like, you know, you might relate if, if, if you're like parts removed from the, from the Caribbean. Um, but then also maybe if you want to know about your Filipino roots, you, you might, you know, see something in that project and feel inspired to go back and say, Hey, you know, I'm going to get to know my driver. They're going to take me around. They're going to tell me a little bit about something, you know, my culture that I don't know. And, um, you know, I'm going to just learn a lot more from just being on the road. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned Anthony Bourdain because um, I see that in the trailer for Driver Radio. I see that. Mm -hmm. I see how um, not necessarily I I don't see it like being a copycat version, but I see influence. And I think at this point, like almost any travel documentary style, you know, content has to be like influenced by Anthony Bourdain because he did it so well, you know, he did it so, so honestly. Um, But, you know, your project also had me thinking about, like I lived in Ghana for eight months and I was out there documenting uh, music and and culture and and artists and things like that. And their their, uh, transportation service relies heavily on, um, it's like their dollar van service is called Trotro's. And, and and like you said, there's a language in transportation. Yeah. And what was really interesting is that you every trocho has a driver and has yeah. a um a conductor. Uh, yeah, a conductor who 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 is basically like letting the driver know when to stop and and then is also collecting the money. And what's really interesting about this is like, you know, I'll be waiting for a trocho and and 
it's on I'm I'm on the side of a highway and it they're going like 60 70 miles an hour and they don't they're not going to stop and pull over for me and waste time if I'm not going where they're going so the the, yeah. the conductor's hanging out of the side of the the trotro and he'll do a hand signal like if he's pointing up it might be like going north going to north lagoon or if he does like yeah. a a twisty hand signal then it might mean he's going to circle right mm-hmm. and if they if he puts up the right sign and that's where I'm going up and I'll match the sign then they'll pull over and I just hop mm-hmm. in but if I'm mm-hmm. not going to that place then I'll just keep going by right and what was also yeah. really interesting was that the conductor kept track of all the different people who got on at what point they got on and then at what point they got off and how much they owed and sometimes if if uh he didn't have change he would have he would he would wait till somebody got off, calculate the change, do all this math in, mm-hmm. in, in his head to make sure that everybody got the right amount of change and they got off mm-hmm. at the at the proper stop and paid the proper amount. And I was sitting there like, "Wow, <laughs> this is this is it's just, it's amazing, you know, it's amazing." Yeah. Um, so it's definitely a language in in transportation, and it's different in every country, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's different, but it's also like. Uh, similar, uh, similar in, in their commonalities. Yeah, like, that's the thing about this the, the series Driver Radio. Um, you know, each episode had a different aspect of transportation, mm-hmm. and if you watch the episode four, um, we cover the uh, the bus system in Jamaica with the driver and the conductor, and you know, it's just as you explain it, like you know how how that how that synergy between driver and conductor works but um it's funny because my brother for that episode particularly fourth fourth episode my brother was in kenya and he shot an, an amazing series of photos of these of these mini buses um you know he, he was sitting in, in one side of a bus and through the tinted windows i think he he, he took he's a he's, he's a photographer you know by origin but he, he would he would shoot through the tinted windows uh, directly across at these other minibuses. They travel so close to each other. You get these amazing portraits mm-hmm. of these conductors hanging out the doors. And um, he, he we used that that photography in line with the footage that we shot. Like he, he brought it to me as like a photo documentary series and I was just filming and and you know I cut it into some teasers and we got PBS interested in it and they 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 paid us to make a pilot and then you know also you know ultimately ordered you know a number of episodes um beautiful but like, beautiful beautiful yeah his, his photography uh, in 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 Kenya you know helped us illustrate what it was going to be like in Jamaica and um yeah, and 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 that language that you described, man, you know, it, it's it's unspoken, and it and it's you know, it's culture, you know, it's culture. And Bourdain, you know, understood that with food, you know, like he he understood, you know, coming coming into people's houses by you know by way of dinner table mm-hmm. was a way for him to understand a lot more about people. Yeah, and uh, and, and, and like everyone, everyone recognizes how how he. He revolutionized that game. Yeah, for sure. You know, Anthony Bourdain definitely, um, you know, sort of opened up 
the opportunities for making travel documentaries like really interesting and and human like they didn't go the national geographic route of just like ex- exploiting the you know early nat geo route of exploiting like different communities like he was really a part of the community if you if you look at what's happening now we got films like high on a hog um that series was was amazing um and then you have like series like chef's table that i, I love mm-hmm. i love food docs i love food documentary series because the process of making the food you know for like for a meal to get to your table is so many steps there's the, the farmers then there's the the people delivering the food and, and processing it and chopping it up and then there's the chefs who do their own thing it's amazing i think mean, i think for any visual creative man like get into watching food like these really good food documentary series man because it's just storytelling yeah. at its finest to me mm-hmm. yeah 100 <laughs> so yo um you know i think directors have to find inspiration from a lot of different things um a lot of directors find inspiration from their own life experiences uh you mentioned being able to be relatable right so before you tell a story you're looking at your own life in a sense to see like what what parts of your life can you bring into this story so that other people can relate to it right so what are some ways that you stay inspired to to continuously be able to find ways to connect with with your audience um yeah man i just try and keep an open mind to um what this life is you know like i think um i think you know as a creative you know the the number one task or number one um objective you should wake up with is to uh see see what's right in front of you what what stories are right in front of you you know like um i don't know a a single creative that isn't inspired by something that they've encountered so um you know it's just having your eyes open always being curious you know um and for me it's you know honestly i'm 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 actively trying to understand and, and, and um and be open to uh you know maybe even the way my daughter is 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 seeing things you know um just because i think we're all trying to be like whether we're like you know consumers of of you know creativity or we're makers of creativity we're all trying to find that childlike um um essence to kind of see the world you know so if you're curious um y- you're going to notice something new and it's going to be exciting inspiring you know so i'm just trying to i'm just trying to keep that in the back of my head as i as i move through things and um you know I, I think that's the way I stay inspired is just by, by, you know, recognizing or, or observing something new. Um, that's great. Yeah. You know, um, speaking of children, uh, a few weeks ago, I was, um, me and my, my homie, we were brainstorming a project that we're working on. And my son, he's seven years old. He's already a creative. 
and mm. he wants to hang out with us. So he's he's you know in my office. He's like coloring, drawing. He's on the tablet, but he's also like jumping in and out of our conversation, and yeah. you know, and we're brainstorming. So he's like, "Oh, I have an idea," and instead of just being like, "All right, sh- sh- let us get to work," right? Yeah. We were yeah. like, "What's your idea?" And he would say it, and we, me and my homie, we looked at each other and we we're like, "Yo." It's actually not a bad idea. Let me write this down. You know what I mean? And I feel like a, a light bulb went off for me. And I realized, like, this is probably how, you know, you have, like, uh, you know, like, major – anybody who's a professional who lets their kids in on the process, their kids mm-hmm. eventually be really good at it because they get in so early. Yeah. You know? So, one, I feel like, all right, this is dope because – I'm letting him in on the process of what it what it takes to create something from scratch. And then two, we are still able to be youthful in our ideas because yeah. it's coming from a seven-year-old. So he's not thinking about if something is possible or how much something costs. He's just like, it'll be cool if we, you know, had, you mm-hmm. know, spaceships dropping sticks of bubble gum or whatever. He's like, <laughs> you know what? I never thought yeah. about that. And it's like, yeah, just put it in there, you know? So, um, yeah. yeah, you got to keep yeah. a, a, a youthful mind when we create. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, no, 100%. Like, you know, I had a colleague that uh, I was working with. And, you know, I admire a lot of people who do what we do, you know? Uh, but I have, I have a, you know, I have a lot of um, colleagues at First Ave that do do it in a way where they have this kind of youthful, playful kind of like curiosity, you know, they, they, they really, they really, um, emphasize or, or just kind of like, um, you know, that's why I like where I'm at. They, they really push us to, to, to kind of take it there and like be, you know, that playful kind of spirit. It's a playful place. But anyway, um, my colleague that I was getting at, he, the way I saw him, like we did this campaign together, and um, you know, I had a few, I, I had a few spots. He showed up and supported me, and then he was a part of the same campaign, and I showed up and supported him. But he told me um, the way he views it when the camera's on set. He, you know, when you're in front of the camera, like you know, which which is a director, you, you step in front of the camera when you're figuring out stuff and you're like working. Mm-hmm. through things and then you jump behind it again mm-hmm. but in front of the camera is all play you know like it's 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 definitely like you want to get back to that youth, youthful mm. place where where there are all these possibilities you know and, and and i think even in working with clients or you know you, you definitely have you know whatever objective you got to communicate um and, and 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 anything like that but you know at the same time you know the creative medium is just kind of like you want to be you know, open and, um, you know, just kind of, um, you know, just kind of inspired by, by this, this, this kind of ability to explore within, you know, within parameters or whatever, but, um, you always need parameters. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You, you got the parameters, but I mean, like, you know, when I was a kid, I remember me and my brother used to come up with the story, you know, we, 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 we'd say, okay, well, you know, a jetliner needs to land in the middle of Georgia Avenue. Same same road that, you know, the Georgia Avenue Day Parade, mm-hmm. the West Indian Day Parade proceeded down. 
we need to land a 747. My dad used to tell me Georgia Avenue in DC was made to land a plane if they had to in an emergency. <laughs> you know, like it was like a tall tale. Um, maybe it's true. American government, correct me if I'm wrong. But, you know, like we used to use that and, and, and make the last action hero or the, the lethal weapon happen because, you know, that that was the parameters. It's like, oh, yeah, there's this emergency on a plane. You know, you know, you know, pre, you know, pre, you know, other instances that have happened in the real world. But it's just like, you know, those those parameters of play and how you build a story kind of set up, you know, that's your plot, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I, I just wanted to throw that in there, man. It's 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 all supposed to be it's all supposed to be play and, and parameters are welcome, you know. Absolutely. I mean, we got into yeah. it because it was into this because it was fun. Now that yeah. we're, we're professionals, the fun shouldn't go. Just because yeah. you know we have clients, we want to still be able to enjoy what we're doing and and create something that other people enjoy as well. So I think that's very important. You know, we have to have fun at the same time. Doesn't mean that the work isn't hard or isn't isn't challenging or isn't stretching yeah. us to our limits, but we still should enjoy the whole process. You know? Yeah, absolutely, bro. I mean, I could. I could get into that side of it, but I mean, like, I feel like we've been in that space where we, mm-hmm. you know, right now in this conversation, I'm like really enjoying what we're doing, you know? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, man. So, you know, the um, currently, you know, um, the world is opening back up and mm-hmm. we are getting back to a new version of normal. Mm-hmm. What do you, how do you see, you know, the next year unfolding for you and, and, mm-hmm and your work mm. man that's a good question man i'm I, like i think you mentioned it earlier and, and hopefully i didn't come off um in a way where i feel like you know i've actually made it because i feel like i'm still finding my voice and my path um and just still establishing myself not a lot of people know you know me and nor do i i you know i'm, I'm still trying to establish myself so um my path um i'm gonna i'm gonna keep going man i i I definitely feel like you know i have i i have a lot more to share um the world's opening up and i feel like um you know it's accepting of our stories hopefully like as as folks behind the black shutter like you know our stories are like still welcome you know i i actually do (laughs) <laughs> you know, and this might be one of the one of the areas where it's just kind of like, oh yeah, you know, watch this in the edit. <laughs> but I feel like, um, you know, and I don't, I don't really, I don't really care. Like, I feel like this this industry, especially the industry I'm in, um, not 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 just the creative industry, but like you know, specifically, you know, the creative advertising industry mm-hmm. works within cycles and trends and you know, certain things, you know, become hot at certain times, like black creatives and black voices and the stories we tell, you know, and then sometimes it's not about that. It's just like, no, we got to do the end of the year sales. We got to get these cars out the door, <laughs> yeah. you know, like real talk. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I personally feel, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine and, and I, I feel like with what's going on with COVID being released, but then war breaking out in the world, which is unfortunate mm-hmm. because, you know, we're, we're post Obama, you know, and, and I feel like we were in a great place. 
but such is life. I, I feel like the 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 industry or or where we're headed right now is is back to um, national pride. You know, whether you're European or whether you're American or whether you're Australian or wherever you're from, Japanese, whatever. I think national pride is going to be a big thing in the future. And, and I've been talking about like black Americana because that hasn't been defined yet, you know, like, or maybe it has, you know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, but I think black Americana in the same way, like Ryan McGinley produces images and that's called repetage Americana. Right. Um, I think black Americana is going to be a big thing. Like, you know, you think of uh, Jenna Wortham and her partner's uh, book, Black Futures, and, and, and all the important creativity and work that they compiled into this massive piece of work that's so, you know, important for this time. Um, I think in, in terms of visuals, uh, you know, if I could just throw out Black Americana, <laughs> I think that's important. And I think your voice matters in that. Uh, a lot of your, your your listeners' voices matter in that, and I and I hope my voice matters in that. You know, what is the black experience in America, and, and especially when we're looking, you know, internally, because I think, you know, it's easy for me, you know, as someone who's part of this large, you know, we're all part of the diaspora, but like I look towards the Caribbean for for my source of power and storytelling, but uh, my American side is like thinking about okay, well. What does it mean to be black in America, mm -hmm. and and what is it going to be meaning in the future, especially because you know, I think a lot of people are going to be looking at at their own situations and and within their own borders, um, you know, what that presents to the rest of the world, and um, I think Black Americana is going to be huge, and I think me my space of work, um, I'm going to be hopefully looking to contribute to to that, you know, in the future. Um, you know, however I can with with my lens or with my perspective. Guaguan, this is Ron Brody. You're tuned into the Black Shut Up podcast. Big up yourselves. I want to give a big shout out to everyone who tuned into this episode. Thank you for listening. The Black Shut Up podcast is hosted by me, Idris Talib Solomon. To subscribe to the Black Shut Up podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. When you get there, show us some love by dropping a five-star rating or leaving a review. This will help with our rankings, which essentially helps more black photographers get exposure. Make sure to check us out online at blackshutterpodcast.com to read the show notes, learn more about our guests, and check out some of their work. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Peace. Until next time.